<clears throat> we're going to be flipping through a lot of passages today, and I'm, I intend to give you time to get there. Um, this, this Sunday's lesson is, is based on our, our theme for this year. Um, so our, our theme here is becoming partakers of the divine nature. It's based on 2 Peter chapter 1, the first 11 verses. Um, if you want to turn there, you can. Uh, I'll just quickly go over what our theme is and why it's from those verses. Um, Peter says that through promises Jesus has made, through his grace and through what he's done for us, we can become partakers in the divine nature. Again, that's Second uh, Peter chapter 1. I'm not going to read the entire 11 verses, but uh, verse 4 for by these, referring back to his glory and his excellence in verse 3, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them, the promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. So that's a, that's a pretty heady promise uh, to partake of the divine nature. Um, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust, and then verse 5, now for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, add these things. Add, add, add. And what we're going to talk about this morning is the faith to which we're to add. Right? Verse 5 says, now for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence or virtue, depending on your translation. Um, so you notice it's just sort of assumed. He doesn't say, in your salvation, add faith. He just says, in your faith, you need to add these things. right? So the, the faith is assumed to be existent. It's assumed to be there by the readers. And maybe they need to grow in their faith, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But what he's specifically saying is, in your faith, the faith that you have now, whatever you have now, you need to add these things to it. So there's three aspects of faith that I want to talk about this morning before we talk about what it is. One of those things is that it's foundational, right? The faith is there, and you're adding things to the faith. You're adding self-control, you're adding kindness, you're adding love, right? But the faith must be there. Um, it's also necessary. We'll talk about that faith is necessary, and it's not something that I can do without, or I can choose if I want it. It really doesn't have any meaning in that in that paradigm. It doesn't make sense to say that faith is optional. It's necessary. So it's foundational, it's necessary. And as I mentioned earlier, faith should grow. Um, while its existence may be static, faith itself is not static. Right? Once we have faith, we should always have it. That's the static part. It should always be there. Right? But it should grow. It should flourish. And we'll look at some verses that talk about that. So I hope you have your thumbs ready. I see everyone's, most everyone's got electronic, right? So you can find it quickly. Kirby, sorry. <clears throat> you're, not, you're not alone. Okay, let's look at Ephesians 2, verse 8 first. So we're going to talk about the necessary part of faith, the fact that faith is necessary first. And we're going to go through several verses. Not This is not exhaustive, okay? There, it, it was... It was quite a task putting together a lesson on faith and trying to keep it, you know, to less than a day. 
So <clears throat> I'm talking about just these three aspects that seem to apply in Second Peter 1. It's necessary, right? It must be there. It's foundational, and it grows. So the necessary part is what we're talking about first. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Um, this is a very interesting passage, all kinds of studies have been done on this and lessons have been given about it but the fact is grace saves you through faith you take the grace away there's no salvation you take the faith away there's no salvation it is necessary you can say one is more necessary than the other but that doesn't really make any sense to say something is more necessary right i prefer to say something's more powerful right the grace is what makes the faith powerful you can believe in all kinds of things that you just come up with on your own initiative. But if there's no grace that supplies power to that belief or that faith, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't accomplish anything. Right? So faith is necessary. Now let's turn over to Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Paul is talking about how many things he gave up, how many things he abandoned in his life to become what he is, an apostle. Verse 8. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. What Paul's saying here is there's only one way to be righteous. It's to have faith in God. There's actually, there's not another way to be considered righteous unless you live perfectly and sinless, right? And we know from Romans 3, we don't do that. Eventually, we all choose self over God. And we sin. So, how do we become righteous again? There's only one way. God gives righteousness is through faith it's necessary now let's turn over to 1st Timothy we'll look at two things Paul wrote to Timothy one's in 1st Timothy 6 another is in 2nd Timothy chapter 2 I find it interesting that in both letters to Timothy he says almost the same thing here toward the end 1st Timothy 6 verse 11 but flee from these things talking about the lusts in the world right you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, <coughs> and gentleness. We must pursue faith. right? So it's not just that it's necessary. It's something we need to feel and know is necessary to the point that we will run after it. We will work hard for it. We want it. And also in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, he says almost the same thing. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. It seemed really important to Paul that he tell this young preacher, right, his son in the faith, you need to chase these things. You need to run after righteousness. You need to run after faith. And he told him twice, right? Now let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We had a reading earlier from Hebrews chapter 11. 
I could have just read Hebrews 11 and the sermon would be over. The lesson would be done, right? There's faith. Um, but I want to have a, a little broader stroke. But the discussion on faith actually begins at the end of Hebrews chapter 10. If you look in verse 38, Paul's quoting this, this passage. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Right? This is God speaking. And then, and then the writer of Hebrews saying, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. If we want to preserve our soul, there's only one thing that does it. Faith. Now, if you look further down in, in Hebrews, 11 chapter, or Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we see again how necessary it is. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. You have to have this mental assent that you know who he is. You believe who he is, right? But then he's a rewarder of those who seek him. That's the action part, right? You have to believe he's there. But then you have to believe there's a reward for seeking him, right? For doing the things he wants you to do. For living as his child it's necessary if there's no faith involved you cannot please him let's look at James chapter 2 again I could have read Hebrews 11 and James 2 and we would have our 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 lesson on faith I want to look at just one verse though the very first verse that James read this morning we'll look more at James 2 later James 2 verse 14 James says what use is it my brethren if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? Now, I'm not really focusing on the, the interplay of faith and works here, but the last phrase. Can that faith save him? Well, the implication is no, but what's necessarily implied is that faith saves. Faith saves. And we saw that in Ephesians chapter 2, right? You have been saved by grace through faith. Right? So without the faith, we're lost. The grace is there. The power is there to save. The sacrifice has been given. But without the faith in it, it's ineffectual for us individually. Right? It's not that the sacrifice is ineffectual because there are people with faith. We see that in Hebrews chapter 11. So it was, it was effectual and effective, right? It had power. But for me, it has no power without faith, without my personal faith. Right? Okay. Let's turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We want to be protected by God. 
I mean, people pray for protection all the time. I pray for protection all the time. Different types of protection, right? There's physical protection. There's emotional, right? Protect me from sadness or anxiety, anger, right? We want to be protected by God. And Peter says here, we are protected by the power of God. How? Through faith. So without faith, his offered protection isn't even there for me. It's not available. I mean, it's available if I have faith. (laughs) But if I abandon faith, right? Faith is, again, we haven't defined it, what faith is. We're just looking at descriptions right now. We'll talk about what it is in a little bit. But what we need to know is without faith, I'm not protected by the power of God for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's necessary. Okay, the last verse for the necessary part. First John. First John chapter five and verse four. We actually sang about this this morning. First John five verse four. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We really could have ignored all the other verses and just read that, right? This is the, 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 the victory for you individually, personally, that overcomes the world is your faith. That's it. That's, that's the only thing you have control over, right? You don't have control over the rest. You don't have control over the resurrection of Jesus. You don't have control over his death, right? These things were done for you. These things were necessary, right? But what you have control over for your personal victory over the world is your faith. It's necessary. Okay, it's related to necessary, but I think not, not quite the same. And, and here's the analogy I thought of. I know this is really kind of hokey, right? But it's like a roof on a house. Right? A roof is necessary for it to be a house, but it's not foundational. Right? You don't have the rest of the house built on the roof. It's built on the foundation. But without the roof, right, the house is kind of a waste. <laughs> it might not get windy, but it's going to get wet inside there, right? So what we talked about first is that it's necessary, but it's not just necessary. It is foundational. It's at the base. It's at the root, okay? And there are not as many verses here, only four or five. So let's look in Romans chapter 10. <clears throat> Romans 10, verse 17. This is a passage I think many of us are are familiar with. You can quote it many times. Paul says to the Christians in Rome, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. In this instance, what I mean by foundational is like how early in salvation faith plays a role. Right? It is the result of hearing the gospel. It's a result of hearing the good news. We hear it, and faith right, begins from that point. That's foundational, right? That's nascent. I mean, it's like the birth of salvation is beginning, right, with faith when you hear it. Also in Romans chapter 14, just flip over a few pages or screens. Romans 14 verse 22, Paul says again to these Christians, the faith which you have 
Have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. Okay, in context, Paul's talking about brethren who believe they can eat meat sacrificed to idols and brethren who can't. And what he's saying is, right, idols are nothing. They don't really exist. We all know that, right? But knowledge puffs up, right, Paul says. He has this discussion in a couple of places, right? In this instance, in this section, what he's saying is, if you, if you eat, make sure it's by faith. Because if it's not, it's sin. And if you don't eat, don't eat out of faith, right? Because if you do it for some other reason, right, it's not driven by faith, it's sin. Right? That's foundational. The activities that you engage in on a daily basis have to come from faith. Right? They must. It's not of faith, right? If I don't believe I'm doing living a life on a I mean daily in a way that God approves of right that's sin that's what he's saying here that's foundational it's the basis of your your decisions it's the basis of your life now let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 6 and 7 Paul says to the Corinthians, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. And there's just sort of this intersected statement, right? Verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. I'm really just taking that right out of a complete context just to show how foundational it is, right? If we're in a dark room, right? We don't take a step. We feel around first. We might, we might kick out with our feet, but that's not taking a step. Right? Once you determine it's okay, then you take a step. Right? Well, that's walking by sight. Right? If you don't have light, you can't see. You're halting in your walk. Paul's saying we live. Right? The way we live is by faith. It's the foundation. Right? Okay. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. <clears throat> Galatians 2 and verse 20, Paul's describing himself, his faith. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what we've been describing right earlier. But Paul just says it flatly. The life I live, everything is done by faith. I don't have anything else to rely on to tell you why I do something or why I don't do something. It's always going to come back to faith. Right? Now that's convicting for me. Because <laughs> I can say there's a lot of things I do on Sunday right, that are because of faith. But what about Monday when I'm at work? Like, just if you, if you just dropped into my life at 10.30 in the morning and you said, Hey Richard, why are you doing that? Would I be able to say because of my faith? It could just be that I haven't thought it through, right? And I'm engaged in something innocent. 
right? But what this is saying is we need to think it through. We need to ask ourselves that question before someone does drop in at 1030 and say, hey, right? Because that happened to me in at Georgia Tech, right? I don't remember what year it was. I was a freshman or sophomore. It was it was pretty early, but I love history. I didn't major in history. I majored in engineering, but I love history. The older, the better, right? <clears throat> so I was taking this history class, and we were getting up into you know the uh, the Enlightenment period, which I start to lose interest. Right? That's too recent for me. Okay, but anyway, the professor said, "Hey, so." They started explaining away things like lightning, and they started, you know, and they said, hey, you know, they had scientific or natural causes for why does food rot, and why do bugs come out of rotten food? Like, it's not magic. There's, there's things there, right, that they hatch or whatever. So they started explaining these things that happen in the natural world and that they used to ascribe, right, superstitiously to God. Not even appropriately, just superstitiously ascribed to God. And so her, her comment when she, she sort of paused and said, isn't that why you're all here? To prove that this world is not from God. To prove that the things you see around you have nothing to do with superstitions and God. And I was, like, I was struck. I knew that's why I, that wasn't the reason I was there, but I couldn't come up with the reason I was there. I'm like, well, why am I here? I'm not here for that reason. I was looking around the class and I was thinking, how many people are here for that reason? Like, does she really believe? Like, obviously, that's why she's here, right? And I thought, well, so I had to do a lot of searching. Why am I here? You know, is this is this a faith? Am I going to school out of faith? And if so, how, how does that work, right? So, Paul says here. The life which he lived in the flesh, what he did with his flesh, was of faith. Right? We need to do that self-examination. Okay, the last passage from Foundational is Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. <clears throat> For even though I am absent, Paul writing this to uh, the church... For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. You see how many phrases and words in there sound like foundations, right? Firmly rooted established um, the stability of your faith right the reason is because it is foundational the health of our faith depends underpins right the health of our spiritual lives right the reason he's talking about he's so happy about the stability of their faith is because they're going to build on that they have to he knows that. He wants them to be firmly rooted, built up, and established in their faith. Okay. Grows. Faith must grow. We talked about it's necessary. It's not just necessary. It's foundational. And in a sense, it's static in its existence. It should be. But it must grow. 
There's only two passages I have for this, and that is one is in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. It's a very short verse, verse 5. <clears throat> and again, I'm taking it completely out of context, except that it shows you what the apostles understood. Luke 17, verse 5, The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Right? What they're saying is, We have faith, but it's not enough. And they recognized it in that moment. And so they asked the right person, right, Increase our faith. And the second passage is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. <clears throat> Paul says, he writes to the church in Corinth, For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come, even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be, within our sphere, enlarged even more by you. Right? Second Corinthians is a very relationship-centric letter. Paul is really talking about how much he invested emotionally in them, spiritually and in time in them, and how he wants them to open up to him and have this, this relationship, right? Here he's talking about that relationship, and he's saying one of the things that he was hoping for is that as their faith grew, right, we, Paul and, and those who helped him, would be enlarged by them, right, benefited by them. So he expects their faith to grow, right? Not that they would someday obtain faith or get faith. I hope one day you have faith. No, you have faith, and your faith should grow. Now, there are a couple of, I guess, colors or variations on this idea that I want to look at. One is that there seem to be magnitudes of faith, right? There must be if faith can grow. Um, but let's, let's look back in the Gospels again, Matthew chapter 8. So we've seen how faith is necessary. We've seen that faith is foundational. We've seen that it is expected, it's natural, that it should grow, right? But we need to understand, too, that because it does grow and can grow, that there are different magnitudes of it. And that's the best word I can come up with. I don't know if you would say strengths of faith. But Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. Now when Jesus heard this, again, I'm, I'm not reading the backstory for this. Now when Jesus heard this, right, what had been said, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. This Gentile had expressed a greater faith than anyone Jesus had had experienced in Israel. Well, that means there's different magnitudes of faith. Right? Jesus flat out said it. This is the greatest faith I've seen. Right? It outstrips Israel. Okay? Look, look also in Mark uh, chapter 4, verse 40. <clears throat> Mark chapter 4, verse 40. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Right? 
So what, what this implies is that Jesus expects some faith to be present in these people. And he says because of their fear or lack of understanding or whatever, right? It's evidence they actually don't have faith, right? They're not expressing their faith, right? Maybe they just have belief, right? We talked about earlier how that's, that's not faith, right? There's the understanding of who God is, right? Belief. And then there's understanding that he rewards those who seek him. That's faith. Apparently, maybe these guys just had belief. They didn't have the, the seeking part. All right, let's look also in Luke chapter 17. We just looked at 17 verse 5. That shows how faith grows, right? The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith in Luke 17, 5. <clears throat> the response, Jesus' response in Luke 17, 6. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed... You would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Right? Again, Jesus implying that there are different magnitudes, saying that the magnitude of faith that you have is smaller than a mustard seed. <laughs> if you had that magnitude, right, you would all sort of graduate from where you are, right? But they're not there. Right? So there's an implication there are different magnitudes. Now, moving over into the letters, um, well, just one letter. We're going to look at two, two verses in Romans. <clears throat> well, two passages, sorry. Romans chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. I really like, like these verses to understand, I guess, um, how faith can change, right? in bad ways and good ways. Romans 4, verses 19 and 20, speaking of Abraham, Paul says, Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. So here's a moment in life where Paul says Abraham could have gone one of two ways. He could have become weak in faith and said, you know, this promise of a, of a son from my body, right? I, you know, I had Ishmael and I thought that was it, but it's not Ishmael. Right? That could have been a very faith-weakening moment, not because of what God told him, but because of how he reacted to what God told him, right? That's what Paul's saying. It doesn't say, and without and God didn't make him weak in faith. It says without becoming weak in faith, right? It's up to me. Abraham chooses to become weak in faith or strong in faith. He chose to become strong in faith. Looking at his hundred-year-old body and saying, you know what? I'm going to have a son. That's growing in faith. And then also in Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, verse 3. This is Paul describing the different... Uh, well, I won't get into the context. Let's look at just what he says in verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, 
not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And the reason I didn't want to get into the context is because I just want to look at that last phrase, right? Paul seems to indicate here that in our current lives, right, God has allotted each some faith, right? Now, whether that means we have absolutely no input and no play in that, right, that's a different discussion. I think the passages we've looked at, especially with Abraham, we do play a role, right? Our faith grows by our decisions or not. However, Paul says God has allotted to each a measure of faith. What does that mean? Well, it certainly doesn't mean that our faith doesn't grow. If he allots me, right, well, I don't know what's smaller than a mustard seed, like a particle of dust. Let's just say that. I get dust faith, right? Let's say God is doling out faith, right? And he says, Richard, you get a piece of dust faith, right? Well, it's still got to grow. It doesn't matter what he allotted to me and whether I'm happy about that or I'm sad about that. What matters is I grow that faith. Right? So there are different magnitudes of faith, right? And it's really, as we read earlier, it's a very personal thing, right? I can't have faith for you. You can't have faith for me. So this is one of those look in the mirror kind of lessons, right? Whatever your faith is, are you growing it? Do you... Do you Look at it and think about it and protect it like it's necessary and it's foundational? Or does it just kind of get, you know, ignored and overlooked, right? Like <coughs> mine is too often. Okay, the last aspect of this sort of magnitude, growth kind of thing is that um, faith can um, go away can be lost, can be given up. Okay. Um, one interesting verse is, in, or a couple of verses in Luke 22, verses um, 31 and 32. <clears throat> I've always been fascinated by this. It's like a Job kind of, Job kind of thing going on here. Luke 22, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, and once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Right. So there was a real threat that when those hedges were removed from around Peter and Satan was allowed in by God, right, that his faith would fail. Jesus prayed that his faith would not fail, right? So it can fail. Let's look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you remember, Paul didn't get to spend much time in Thessalonica. When he came into the city and he was preaching and teaching and these other Jews who didn't like what he was teaching came and ran him out, he hadn't been there for very long. And he writes this letter in 1 Thessalonians, the letter of 1 Thessalonians you know, saying I've I've really been anxious, not in a sinful way, right? But worried about your faith, right? I wanted to find out how you were. First Thessalonians chapter three, 
Beginning in verse 5, Paul says, For this reason, when I can endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. For fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you, for this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account as night and day, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. His concern wasn't, oh man, I hope they're not, you know, sick. I mean, that might have been a concern. Like, I hope people don't get sick, right? Or, you know, I hope they're warm. You know, this rain isn't getting to them. Right? All of those things could be types of concern. But what prompted him to write, when, what, what he couldn't endure any longer, was knowing the state of their faith. Right? And he says it in verse 5, that the tempter might have tempted you, right? And our labor would be in vain. Right? To find out their faith didn't exist, was gone. They had abandoned it, right? Because of the tempter. Then their labor would have been in vain. Also to the Thessalonians, but in Second Thessalonians chapter one. Second Thessalonians one, verse four. Again, I'm cutting right into the context. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Indicating that it's their decision to maintain their faith or to abandon their faith in the midst of persecution. And Paul's using the Thessalonians, right, as a talking point. Hey, you haven't gone through what the Thessalonians are going through. Let me tell you. Right? That's what he says. We speak proudly of you among the churches of God because your faith, you're holding on to your faith. Right? Necessary inference. They could abandon it. Okay, last passage here, 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Paul writing to Timothy, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Right. So, again, not getting into to details, but just seeing what is stated. There were people who had suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Right? It hit a rock and it sank. And to take the analogy a little bit further, and I don't think too far, many shipwrecks are now markers for people to avoid. Right? They, they see the mast or they see something sticking up out of the water and like, oh yeah, that's a shipwreck. Same thing happens with faith. Right? There, there are people whose faith 
are shipwreck markers to say, don't go down that path. Don't go into those waters. And that's a very sad, sad thing. Right? Now, by God's grace, as long as they're alive, right, that can be remedied. That can be resolved. But here, these people had suffered shipwreck. The state they were in was a shipwrecked faith. Didn't work. Okay, so we've looked at faith. We've looked at all these parameters, these types, these ways that you can describe faith. It's necessary. It's foundational. It should grow. And the fact that it should grow implies that there are different magnitudes and levels of faith that people have. Right? So what is faith? Let's, let's turn back to James 2. I think this, this will help us. I'm not going to go to the faith as uh, how it's defined or, or described in Hebrews 1. I want to know practically. Practically, what is it? James 2, I want to read the first and last verses of what James read this morning. Let's look in verse 14 and then verse 26. James says in chapter 2, verse 14, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Drop down to verse 26. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. I'm going to define it this way. A living, saving faith is a trust in God to such an extent that it leads one to act on it and only it. You trust God so much that what He says and what pleases Him are the only things you're going to act on. They're going to be the basis for every single decision you make. That's the faith of James 2 doesn't do any good for you to feel sorry for somebody. Right? Oh, my faith makes me heart sore for this person. Right? Faith says, oh, my faith made me heart sore and my faith prompts me to act. Right? Because God acted on my behalf. He didn't just look down at me and feel sorry for me as a sinner. He sacrificed his son for me as a sinner. Without me even asking for it. I didn't even have the knowledge that I needed it, and he did it. Faith does the same thing. It doesn't sit there and wait to be forced into action. When it knows, it acts. That's faith. Okay. So, it's a life lived, I would say, abandoning human wisdom for God's wisdom. Total abandonment. Now, something God says to you may make sense to you, and you, you may seem wise, right? That's fine. But when the two conflict, right, you abandon man's wisdom wholly for God's wisdom. That's faith. So, as we noticed earlier, it's supposed to grow. And I'm just going to use this as an example. We start out in baptism, right? The act of faith by which we know we receive forgiveness. 
We don't do that because some guy thought it was a good idea. Hey, you know what? Let's let's all dunk ourselves in water, and it's kind of like taking a bath. So we're we're washing away sins, right? I mean, human wisdom, right? Would could come up with all kinds of things. We don't do it because we're submitting to human wisdom, right? That's the first act of a saving faith. God said, "Do this." I want forgiveness. I'm going to do this. Right? That's where it starts, right? And then that faith grows. We start, to, we start to look at more things. We maintain that same trust throughout our lives. Every single thing I discover that God wants me to do, I'm going to do. Right? That's the attitude. That's the foundational faith. It doesn't mean you know everything He wants you to do. It doesn't mean you understand everything He tells you not to do. Right? But it says, when I know, I'm going to do and not do. That's the faith that starts and grows and is always there. The same faith that led us to be baptized is the faith that grows to submit to each other as Christians, to love our enemies, to act like Jesus in the best and worst of times. It's a growing faith, but it's the same faith. It's just gotten stronger. That faith is necessary for the rest of Second Peter 1 to be of any value. Think about it. What good is virtue and self-control and knowledge and perseverance without an active trust in God to direct those things? Well, I've got self-control. Well, didn't Paul mention something about false religion and self-control? Don't eat. Don't touch. Right? Don't marry. Looks like religion. Paul says it's misdirected self-control. God tells us how to direct that self-control. So that's why the faith must exist for all the rest of those things in Second Peter 1 to matter. So do you have faith? Right, you, you to look at yourself. I mean... No one else can look at you and know. God knows in you. Do, you. do you trust Jesus to such an extent that you would choose his wisdom and make his choices over your own when it comes down to it? It's a scary thing to say, I want to do this. Jesus wants something else. I'm going to go this way. Sometimes it's not scary. Sometimes they line up. But when they don't, it becomes scary. But if you have the understanding that his decisions for you and his choices for you are for your good and for your salvation, it becomes less scary. In fact, it becomes freeing. I'm glad he chose this for me because I didn't know what to do. Will you accept that that trust has to grow and are you going to guard it against shipwreck? It's valuable. You need to grow it and protect it. Stay away from the shipwrecks. Don't go down the same path. Your faith in Jesus is the victory that has overcome the world. So if your faith isn't what it should be, right, do something about that today. We're going to sing a song of invitation. It's 
is designed and it's placed in this time so that you can think about your position and your state before God and where your faith is. These are the people among whom right, you can talk about these things and it will have meaning. Out in the world, it doesn't have any meaning to those people. So avail yourself of this opportunity if you need to talk about strengthening your faith, growing in your faith, or reestablishing your faith, as the case may be. Let's stand and sing at this time.